0: Before we start, here's some exciting news. I Don't Know the Podcast has recently had a massive upturn in listeners. We've been making the top 100 charts in countries including Ireland, Sweden, and finally the UK. And so, to mark the growing success of the podcast, I've created a Patreon page. The Patreon will be home to new exclusive content, and all subscribers will be entered into monthly prize draws, get a shout out in each episode. And all of that for the price of a craft beer. It will also help cover the monthly costs of doing this and put a boot up my ass to make sure I get episodes out on time. So if you want to sign up, simply follow the link in the show notes. And of course, the regular podcast will always be free. Now, with that out of the way, let's do this. Hello and welcome to... I Don't Know The Podcast, Episode 54, Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories. That's right, it's the month of Spooktober, and to mark this most pumpkin-tastic month, we're going to delve into Britain's most terrifying ghost stories. The UK is awash with frightening tales of ghostly figures wandering around old houses, projectile-throwing poltergeists putting the willies up weary residents, and even deadly demons possessing the bodies of unconsenting adults in a weird, otherworldly, hashtag-me-too way. The pro-ghost media would have you believe that ghosts are nice, what with movies like Casper and Topper and, uh, Ghost. But they're not nice. They're mostly real dicks who want to scare you out of your house. The house that you're paying the mortgage for while these supernatural freeloaders run amok. So this week, we're going to hear the most terrifying ghost stories the UK can come up with. So put down that pumpkin-flavoured beer. No, really, put down that pumpkin-flavoured beer and get a proper grown-up's drink. And be prepared to be scared shitless. Great Britain is perfect for ghosts. Everywhere is really old, and there are lots of historic stately homes. And the people that used to live in those historic stately homes were usually real assholes who treated everyone around them very poorly and often violently killed those poorly treated people in the grounds of the stately home, which is usually a really good way to make a ghost. It seems that ghosts often appear to be wearing some sort of period costume. Something that dates the period in history that they might have lived in. But what if someone dies on the way to a fancy dress party? Say I'm dressed as a pirate, and I get hit by a bus on the way to the party. Will my ghost forever be mistaken as an ancient buccaneer that lived in Croydon for some reason? Even weirder would be the ghostly apparition of an Imperial stormtrooper carrying a case of beer outside Pearly Tesco's. How could anyone explain that? But I digress.
1: I can't explain it, so what's the other answer?
2: once they lived in a dream cottage until their lives were turned upside
3: down. I began to realize we really did have something very difficult in our hands. I do not need to come home to a house full of hysterical women spouting about bloody ghosts.
4: Come on, dear, be nice, my dear.
0: I did a search for Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories and it came up with a documentary called Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories which sounded perfect. It was made in 2001 although the overall quality of it makes it look more like the 1980s. But it is narrated by Ian McShane star of Deadwood and American Gods which is probably where most of their budget went. After the intro and all that we start in very dramatic fashion. Julie Penny never believed in ghosts. It sounds to me like she does now. That was a family running for their lives out of the house, jumping in the car and peeling out in a very irresponsible manner.
2: As a science teacher, she knew there was a rational explanation for everything. So why did she and her daughters flee into the night from their dream home, praying they would never have to step foot in it again?
0: What could they be running from? What could possibly scare a science teacher so much? Julie and her engineer husband, George, married in
2: 1986. They had two daughters, Francesca and Katrina. In 1994, they decided to move from their Walsall estate in the West Midlands.
0: What's wrong with Walsall? It was the home of Noddy Holder from Slade and Rob Halford of Judas Priest.
1: We decided that we'd sell the house and we'd make a new beginning in a rural part of the area. We thought that would be a better way to bring up our children.
0: I have some friends who moved to the countryside and their kids went on to become racists. They found their dream home in a small village near Birmingham.
1: Really just what we'd always wanted, it was the picture postcard cottage.
2: The children loved it
4: and we just knew it was what we wanted.
1: We had our leg pulled quite a bit by friends who said, it's such an old cottage, an 18th century cottage. Are you frightened about it being haunted? And we said, absolutely not.
0: Why would she be? She's a science teacher.
2: Julie now wishes she'd listened to her friends. The family had been in the cottage for two days when it started.
5: We all fall down.
0: Kids singing nursery rhymes is one of the creepiest things on earth. But this is even creepier because on the video there's a shadow person running down the stairs. <laughs>
1: Silly Jessica. she's been out here
0: with me. Yeah, and no one likes a snitch Francesca.
1: Mum was rather annoyed with Francesca because I felt that she was trying to get Katrina into trouble. Now, looking back, I wish I'd listened to her the very first time she said it. I thought it was my sister, but the force was too hard for her to have pushed me downstairs.
0: That's right, the shadow person pushed Francesca down the stairs. And then it went for Mum.
1: It was like an adult-sized hand that pressed on my face as I went to go up the stairs. At the same time, there was a very cold breeze coming down the stairs. When I got to the top of the stairs, none of the windows were open. As a science teacher, I have to give logical reasons and answers to everything, and that's what I teach children to do. For the first time in my life ever, something was happening that I had no control over, and I didn't have an answer to it.
0: Not even a science teacher could explain what's
2: going on here. Julie was having a hard time persuading her husband that anything was wrong. I wanted to believe what I was being told, but
4: I am an engineer by trade, and unless I can see it or touch it, it
0: doesn't exist.
1: I was beginning to believe George and think, I must be imagining it, I can't explain it, so what's the other answer?
0: A science teacher and an engineer? This must be the most rational house in England. So, why is it happening to them? And how can they explain what happens next?
5: George!
6: George! Oh. Oh, what is the matter? What is it? A man! A man! Oh, Do you care that I've got to be working in two hours' time?
0: The mum saw a mysterious man at the end of the bed. But, for George, getting a good night's sleep is more important than any ghost or burglar. And personally, I'm kind of on George's side.
5: Mum, there was this man in
0: our room. And then he disappeared. Oh, great. Now the kids have come in. George is never going to get back to sleep. And he has to be back at work in two hours.
1: He looked exactly like George he got a really, really strange outfit on. It was cut in a style I'd never seen before.
2: Over the next few months, the strange events got worse. There were terrible smells and unexplainable electrical problems. Wondering if she might find the answer in the history of the old cottage, Julie visited the local library.
0: Electrical problems are probably not that uncommon in an old house. And there are often strange smells around my house, usually after curry night. But I guess a trip to the library wouldn't hurt.
1: The village apparently was a real den of thieves. The stagecoaches were always being held up. There were lots of hideouts for highwaymen. It was really a very rough area. We found out that our cottage was linked up to the Welsh Hart pub by a series of tunnels. The tunnels were used from there for the highwaymen to escape down and actually escaped through the trapdoor door in our cellar out of our cottage.
0: A trapdoor and a secret passage to the pub. If I was George I'd be insisting we keep the house.
1: Close by there was a tree which was a hangman's tree. We don't know if the problems in the cottage were linked to a very vivid history or whether it was something else that was going on that we couldn't explain.
2: But it was talking to the neighbours that produced the most chilling evidence.
1: We found out that nobody had been in the cottage for more than 18 months.
0: Pretty spooky.
2: Arguments
4: were increasing in the house um, due to the fact that I was being presented
0: with all these stories. And being woken up by everyone at ridiculous hours in the morning.
2: Julie started taking the girls to spend some nights at her mother's, but George was still unsympathetic. Nothing had happened
0: to him yet. And he's getting a good night's sleep at last.
4: The bang at the door was immense. The whole house shook. I ran to the door immediately and opened it, expecting to see somebody or something there. There was nothing there.
0: I notice he doesn't shout at the door like he did at Julie.
2: George was about to experience firsthand what his family had been going through.
4: Coming off a wall were probably the scariest things for me. When I looked at the back of the picture, the cord was still intact and the hook was still in the wall. How had the pictures come off?
0: In the clip, the lights are going on and off and pictures are flying off the walls as he runs through the house. Not even an engineer could explain this.
4: I began to feel really guilty. These things have been going on all this time and I've been ignoring them
1: to take a turn for the worst and we found that there was something going on a bit more than that, and um, possibly some kind of poltergeist type activity.
2: Oh no! If the Pennies did have a poltergeist, they became convinced his aim was to split the family and drive them from the house.
1: It was as if they were playing me and George off against each other, playing the girls off against me. It was like somebody was causing downright mischief in the house.
0: Downright mischief. It's a very polite way of putting things.
2: Unable to sell for the same price they'd paid, the Penny family were trapped in a home they
0: believed to be possessed. Worse was to follow. I think that's the third time he said things are going to get worse.
1: I felt that it was becoming a personal vendetta against me alone at this point. I felt that it was trying to take me over and that I was actually going out of my mind.
0: Poor Julie. She's got an angry husband. I just saw one of her kids pulling the head off of a doll. And now she's got a poltergeist who's taken a liking to her.
2: Julie found herself losing control. She felt as if she was being forced to do things against her will.
0: What happened there was George came home to the sound of things smashing. He goes into the kitchen and there's Julie passed out on the floor with broken plates and stuff all around her. But not in a fun Greek restaurant style way.
1: I felt almost as if I was reliving something that had happened in the past or something was trying to relive a life through me. It was almost as if I was being possessed.
0: She's reliving the life of a highwayman who smashed plates and passed out in the kitchen?
2: When George worked night shifts, Julie and the girls often slept in the same bed for safety. But nowhere was safe anymore.
0: The same bed and then Julie starts levitating.
1: I wasn't going to put them through it anymore. I felt that we tried to fight it, we tried to have an answer to the questions we couldn't. We couldn't fight back anymore. Come on, girls, hurry up! We were just going to go. That's it. felt as
0: if it had won. It had beaten us. The pennies fled. They did. They ran through the house, lights are flashing on and off again, the TV exploded, and Julie raced to the car.
2: It would be two years before things returned to normal when they moved to a quiet village in Scotland. Julie is teaching again, and the family have picked up life where they left off.
0: A ghost is never going to follow them to Scotland. I mean, the train fare alone is 94 quid.
1: Our new life in Scotland, well, it's just wonderful. And in some ways, that's been the only good thing that has come out of it. I don't think you should ever doubt your children. We tried doing at the start the thing of, oh, it's just a dream, oh, it's just a nightmare, oh, you know, it's just the wind. I don't think you should do that, because you just never know just what's really going on.
2: There have been no further problems reported in the cottage.
0: Interesting that it was Julie hysterically waking up George every night, but now she blames her weird kids. But it all ended well in Scotland. And now Ian McShane moves on to the next terrifying story.
2: The St George Hotel in Teesside. Built in the 1940s, its squat brick appearance gives it away as an ex-military building. Once it was the officer's mess of RAF Middleton St George. When the Air Force moved out in the 1960s, the base became Side International Airport and the mess became a hotel.
0: Bloody hell, we came here for ghost stories, not a fucking history lesson.
2: The hotel is a busy stopover for aircrew, but over the last 30 years, it's gained notoriety for being haunted. Oh, okay. On the 17th of November 1982, airline pilot Barney Kincannon headed for his room in the west wing of the hotel. I'd just come in from the late London flights, arriving about nine o'clock at night. Another pilot, Grant Waters, was also staying in the West Wing three years earlier in March of 79.
0: I hope he's not just going to give us a list of pilots who have stayed there. I was sort of uh, working uh, early, so we had our normal sort of evening in the bar. Pilots getting drunk? Great.
2: Both men were senior pilots, not given to flights of fancy.
0: I
7: went to bed slightly earlier than the, the crews who were on mates. I went to bed about 11 o'clock. Uh, it's very cold, and always was in that area of the
0: hotel. Uh, it's up north. It's always cold up north. Got into bed,
7: and I've been in bed about two minutes when I felt this heavy, really heavy, pressure on my lower legs. And it was as if a man or a heavy weight was sitting on them.
0: Now, I see what they're doing now. The two pilots stayed there at different times, but they had the same experience. I felt the pressure on my legs, and eventually it sort of moved up to my chest. I felt the bed
7: sort of going down with the weight. And I just
0: lifted my head and turned it round and said, F off. And it went. A very British response to a ghost, especially up north. Although the other pilot is a bit more polite. And I said, please
3: go away because I'm on airless. And
0: he went just like that.
2: Barney wrote an article about that night for Pilots magazine and discovered he wasn't alone.
7: Ooh. Interviewed. Twenty, twenty-five people in working for British Midland who'd had similar, or even worse, well, most of the experiences they had were worse than the one I had.
2: Stewardess Heather Raybold stayed regularly at the St George from 1975 to 1995. She claims to have been visited by the ghost twice.
8: I mean, when I first joined British everybody used to talk about this ghost.
0: Oh no! I hope this doesn't turn pervy.
8: It was like the weight of a man, really. was uh, a heavy weight of somebody pushing me down. I just didn't know what to do. I found I couldn't shout out, I couldn't talk, I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. I just felt like I'd frozen. I never wanted to stay in the hotel again. I did everything I could to change my posture.
0: She should have just, just told it to F off. One stewardess
2: was making her way down to breakfast.
8: She was walking down the corridor and saw this pilot said good morning to him. He didn't answer, she thought oh, he's wearing funny clothes, you know, like the old, palace. she said, to wear the old leathers and that? And she turned around and he disappeared, he wasn't there.
0: A guy in oldie timey pilot's clothes, and then he just disappears.
2: Could the clothing offer a clue to the ghost's identity? Barney started researching the history of the base. Somebody mentioned that a meteor had crashed into the
7: building in the early 50s, and I did a bit of investigation into that.
0: When he says a meteor crashed, he doesn't mean a meteorite or anything like that. He means a Gloucester Meteor, which was the first British jet fighter plane. It was the only jet fighter that was used in World War II.
2: In a bizarre tragedy on the 24th of November, 1951, Flight Lieutenant Raymond Norman lost control of his meteor jet while training. He slewed across the car park. Out of 30 cars there, he destroyed just one, a pre-war Humber, his own. Then he smashed into the mess, demolishing just one room. His own, in what is now the West Wing, where all the sightings have taken place.
4: What
7: are the chances of that? He was still alive. The accident didn't kill him at all. Uh, And as he was getting out, a lump of concrete fell down, struck him. The official cause of death was given as a broken neck. Of all the dumb luck. And I thought, well... (laughs) If you're going to die like that, you know, are you going to stay around and haunt the place?
2: Well, I would, wouldn't you? If it is the ghost of Raymond Norman, then he is still around to this day.
3: He was seen in April of this year by a guest on a tour. Uh, the lady woke up in the middle of the night, uh, saw what she thought was her husband standing by the window and turned over to find that he was actually in bed with her. We like our ghost. He doesn't interfere with us, uh, and we, t- we take him as quite friendly. Unfortunately, he doesn't like flight crew, and in particular flight deck. And they're the ones that, the- that he has the most problem with.
0: Well, you could always tell him to F off. And uh, whatever you think about this, uh, I mean, this has happened to
7: twenty, twenty-five people, to my knowledge. So there's got to be something to it. Hmm.
0: This documentary is called Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories. That wasn't terrifying at all. It's just the ghost of an inept pilot who was so bad that the only thing he crashed into was his own car and his own property. Now he wanders around a shitty airport hotel and scoots off as soon as he's challenged. This next story better be scarier.
2: Fiona Hutchings and husband Viv live in a mobile home.
0: Oh god, it's scarier already
2: once they lived in a dream cottage until their lives were turned upside down. Their story starts over a hundred years ago.
0: It should be made clear that Fiona and Viv are not over a hundred years old and are now living in a trailer. No, I think they're going back to the ghost origin.
2: One cold morning, the people of South Devon awoke to find a bizarre trail of hoof prints running across the county, made by a creature that was cloven hoof, but walked on two legs. Convinced it must be the devil himself. A mob gave chase only to be beaten back by thick woods. It wouldn't be the last time the land was to hide a dark secret.
0: So they chase a devil and just give up because it goes into the woods. Sounds like the plot of an M. Night Shyamalan movie.
2: Since then, rumours have abounded of strange goings on in the woods and moors of the area. Tales of witchcraft, of devil worship, of black magic and human
0: sacrifices. It's probably all just dogging. I think that's been going on for a lot longer than we think.
8: When I saw it, I I thought, this is it. This is the house I'm going to live in forever. They're going to have to carry me out of here.
2: After years of living in isolation on the Devon Moors, 36-year-old nurse Fiona Hutchings had just bought her dream home, Hawthorne Cottage.
0: It is really nice. The first mystery for me would be... How a nurse can afford such a big house? Unless she's stealing drugs from the hospital and selling them.
2: Fiona's son had recently left home, so she set about doing the place up on her own.
0: What an ungrateful little prick. Won't even help his mum after she all she's done for him.
2: After six months in the cottage, Fiona's mother died, leaving her completely alone. Then she met an elderly neighbour with disturbing news about the history of the cottage.
8: She'd never passed my house because she'd been told by her mother not to. Because she said there's all sorts of funny goings on down there and I said, oh, you know, bawdy things. And she said, oh no, she said naughty things. Really naughty.
2: Oh, do go on. The old woman told her the previous owner of Hawthorne Cottage had gone mad. Fiona dismissed it as village gossip. But two months later she made a gruesome discovery.
8: I was clearing the outside because it was completely overgrown. And I started digging up these cats. They'd all been um, mutilated and then wrapped and placed in the north, south, east, west positions, which I thought was rather
0: strange. We had a couple of cats when I was a kid. When they died, we put them in a cereal box and buried them at the end of the garden. Not at the corner of the house. So, I guess that is a bit strange. Oh, and we didn't mutilate them beforehand either.
2: The burying of sacrificed animals is a practice often associated with black magic rituals. Fiona had started to feel uneasy in the cottage, but digging up the cats seemed to trigger something unpleasant.
0: I'm guessing it might attract dogs. Yeah. What happened there was Fiona was in the kitchen chopping some carrots or something it might have been parsnips, we don't know the item being chopped was not in shot, but she was chopping something, and then the microwave exploded
2: Fiona felt like Hawthorne Cottage was turning against her
8: I'd have unexplained electrical faults I got through about three or four TVs I had two fires that started for no reason whatsoever. Washing machine that wouldn't turn off, microwave that blew up, uh, five or six kettles.
0: How can she afford three TVs and all that other stuff on a nurse's salary? She's definitely dealing drugs.
2: Fiona's sanity was being pushed to the limit. It reached breaking point one October night in 1989.
8: I'd gone to sleep. Quite happily, actually. i had some hot chocolate, which was one of my favourites, when I couldn't sleep.
0: I'll bet there was something else in it.
8: And I woke up, and I couldn't get out of the bed. I thought, how did these children get in here, and what are they doing in the middle of the night? And I thought, they're not real, and something terrible's happened.
0: Ugh, that was creepy. The clip showed her in bed while, like... Five creepy children were crawling up the bed. For
8: six or seven months, night after night, I didn't sleep at all. I didn't know at the time whether it was me that was imagining it and I was going crackers, or if they really were there.
2: Finally, she could take the nightly visitations no more and called a friend Louise Barlow, who was a medium.
0: She looks more like a large to me.
1: Usually,
8: clients had to wait for several weeks to see me, but um, a little boy said in-, in me, you need to see this lady now, like today. I felt that there had been black magic rituals, or rituals of some sort, where you get a group of people together, uh, and they do, as uh, they feel, wonderful things, but in fact, it's Awful.
0: Well, awful for the cats.
8: I don't know, but it was that land.
2: Louise felt that if Hawthorne Cottage was being haunted by events that happened on the land before it was built, then it was essential to fight back.
0: Yeah, bury more
2: cats. She called in a qualified exorcist for the Liberal Catholic Church in nearby Exeter.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, um, call an exorcist. The
2: priest who still practices today has confirmed the events.
8: He said the children had been sacrificed and he said it was a sort of ritual that I wouldn't wish to know about. Every time he put holy water down, it was like when you throw water on a bonfire. The ash blackness and the smell was appalling.
0: Nothing worse than the combined smell of dead cats, sacrificed children and priests.
8: I thought it's finished it's all done it's, it's clean it's lovely and i slept for weeks after that
2: the nighttime visitation stopped and life returned to normal well that was easy fiona married a merchant navy electrician called Vib. when well, i heard about
6: the um the sacrifices and things that were supposed to be going on down there it does make you wonder whether you should believe it at first
2: whether it's Hairy fairy stuff.
0: Thank you. Hairy fairy.
2: A few months after the wedding, Viv went away to sea, leaving Fiona alone in the cottage. Despite him being away, she was happier than she had been in years.
0: <laughs> They're back. What you heard was a doorknob rattling. Fiona goes to investigate, and a light explodes.
2: The exorcism may have got rid of the children, but Fiona now believed there was something else in the cottage.
8: It came back with such a vengeance, it was ten times worse.
0: Just tell it to F off.
2: And when Viv returned from sea, he too found himself targeted, usually at night after he'd gone to bed. Oh,
8: God! What if happened?
0: I've got no idea how I got down there. In this scene, there's Viv, laying awkwardly at the bottom of the stairs like he's just come home from the pub. Well, if I did fall down the stairs,
6: I got, had no bruising or anything on me and I just can't explain that one at all.
8: I went back to Louise,
6: she said, this has
8: come back since you got married. Not only have you freed the children, you, you're also happy yourself, and this isn't on, they won't have it.
2: A jealous demon guy? After more than a year of being terrorised, the couple were at their wits' end. They had heard rumours of an elusive local man by the name of John Parker. Ever since I've been a child, I've been able to see what we would loosely call ghosts or dead people.
7: I don't look at myself as a medium. I'm just an ordinary
0: bloke on a building site, laying bricks, making a living. John Parker does seem like an ordinary bloke. What I was picking up from Fiona
7: was pure fear, and I knew that there was very
0: serious trouble in that house, very serious trouble. Is he speaking in the capacity of a builder or a medium? Either way, he's right. At 7pm
2: on June the 6th 1993, John Parker arrived at Hawthorne Cottage. In 30 years he claims to have freed hundreds of trapped souls and has never charged a penny for his services. But this was to be his greatest battle.
0: It's his toughest case yet. We'll
9: soon have this sorted out. You must be bit. Pleasure to meet you. Now sit down both of you, and I'll explain all.
2: John believes that ghosts are souls stuck between this world and the next, he has to persuade them to move on. It is a battle of mind, of strength, of belief. I have to be able to prove
7: that I am stronger than what he is. I could hear
6: footsteps running up the stairs. There's nobody there, of course.
0: John's chased the ghosts up the stairs and then begins to battle them.
9: Right, you little brother. and I for me?
0: I knew... That they were sacrificed for the cult that they belonged to?
9: You don't belong! I'm telling you!
0: In the reconstruction, John is basically stomping around and calling everyone little buggers and threatening to fight anything he sees. The house shook,
8: literally. Uh, I really don't think I've ever been so frightened, ever. I've fought
9: better than you, I will you now.
6: Uh, actually... Hear it and experience it. It was nothing to warn you about that.
0: I'm not sure who Fiona and Viv are more afraid of the ghosts or John.
2: What I remember, boy. I'm gonna put
7: continue now. Passing over, passing over is where you're going. You
9: know where you should be. You've been hanging around here. Passing one. Go on. Go on, I'm telling you, on your way. <laughs>
7: Oh, tea be nice,
0: my dear. Ah, nothing like a fresh brew after a battle with the underworld. It had taken
2: John six long hours, but the hauntings were over.
0: He stomped around and shouted for six hours.
2: He continues his work today in the southwest, but has experienced nothing like Hawthorne Cottage before or since. This is the worst I'd ever done. Fiona and Viv finally lost the cottage in 1995
0: to the banks. What? At the beginning of that story, Ian McShane was definitely insinuating that they lived in a van because they were too afraid to go to the house. But they lost their house just because Fiona probably got caught pinching prescription drugs and no longer had the income to maintain such grand accommodations. And it wasn't very scary either. The next one better be good. 20 miles
2: outside of Bristol is Chew Valley Lake. It's a tranquil place, but its waters hide a secret. At the bottom sit the ruins of the village of Morton, which disappeared in 1956 when the valley was flooded to make a reservoir. But does the lake also conceal the grave of a ghost?
0: Well, probably.
2: On June the 5th, 1999, Chris Pugh, with his girlfriend Wendy and his daughter Sam, were returning home from Bristol past the lake on the B3114.
0: The B3114? What an idiot! He could have avoided all this if he turned on the... A39 and taken the old Bristol Road to Stockbridge Hill and then turned right on Western Lane. Just as I got to the brow of a small hill I could see
6: a triangular light at the end of the cat's eyes and just as I approached it, Wendy looked up and she said "Pewee, pewee, Look out! And I said, I know, I've seen it.
0: Pewee, pewee, What is it?
1: As we drew closer to this object it's just a, a lady just appeared from the middle of the road and drifted very slowly in front of the car.
5: My first thoughts were, oh, perhaps it's just somebody crossing the road. But then, after I looked again, I realised that something wasn't quite right.
0: Yeah, people don't normally drift when they cross the road. I can remember distinctly that she had long,
6: wavy hair that looked sort of greasy or even wet. I was convinced that it wasn't a human being, it was something supernatural.
0: A greasy-haired ghost?
1: What is it? What could it be? And then the next thing you just think,
5: Crikey, that that is a ghost. You, I just knew it. It wasn't until afterwards when I thought about it, I felt absolutely petrified. I, I didn't really know how, how to feel, how to handle it, I suppose.
6: So I pulled into a small car park, into a pub just adjacent to the lake.
0: Old Peewee will always use any excuse to go to the pub.
6: And phoned the police, and that was quite a difficult explanation to give to them. Police searched the area
0: but found nothing. Who calls the cops when they see a ghost? And how much crime is there in that area that they have the time to actually search for a ghost? A week later,
2: Chris replied to an ad in the local paper asking for people who had seen strange things at the lake. A meeting at the local historical society was arranged for witnesses of the ghostly girl.
6: Probably at the pub. There were about 12 people in total, which was amazing because all of them recorded almost the same information when asked a series of questions. Yet there was no collaboration because nobody knew each other before that night.
2: One of those who saw her was Carol
0: Gillen.
9: I was thinking, stupid cow, what's she doing out this time of night? Weather like this, you
0: know. Yeah, stupid cow. Who does she think she is, parading around in her night things? Just with a dress on. Um, that was when I realised then
9: that she was a ghost. The hair's on the back of your neck that knees turned to jelly and held on to the sort of steering wheel. I, I just very slowly watching her go up the
0: lane. Well, she changed her tune.
9: I started asking around the local village where I lived if there was anybody that knew of anything about maybe a girl out on the lake road. Um, and then I found a lady that had um, a book of sort of um, stories about neighbouring villages. I actually came across um, a passage in the book about a girl called Catherine Brown that lived at Stratford Mill, which now is True Valley Lake. And the story goes that she'd actually drowned in the moat. She was only a young girl. So I just surmise that this is who it could
2: have been. Catherine Brown disappeared one day at the turn of the century. The next morning she was found drowned. She'd been dead at least 24 hours. Yet her mother claimed to have seen her the previous night climbing the stairs soaking wet at a time when she was already dead. The events have left those that saw her wondering if it is Catherine Brown retracing her step's home, a home that now lies deep under the lake.
0: Ooh! But is it scary? It might be. I've staggered home soaking wet at night and no one would stop to help me. But now we have one more terrifying story to scare us. Oh God, I hope it's only one more. Children often claim to have imaginary friends,
2: make-believe playmates from their imaginations. I had an imaginary friend. He was a real dick. But Susanna Hodson's invisible friends didn't want to play, and
0: she was sure they were real.
5: This wasn't a good thing. It was actually really quite evil.
0: Oh, this does actually sound like it might be quite scary. Susanna
2: is now a 20-year-old university student. At the age of two, she moved with her family to a large Sussex Manor house. From as early as she can remember, she claims to have seen people that nobody else could.
8: Shortly after we moved there, she became quite disturbed at night. I mean, she'd have me up night after night after night for clearly no apparent reason.
0: Yes, surely she should have been bothering Nanny.
5: I'd always sleep with the light on the landing on. And I just remember waking up in the middle of the night and feeling absolutely terrified.
8: She would talk about a man called George who actually quite frightened her.
0: George isn't the scariest name I've ever heard. For the next few years, the young Susanna
2: continually claimed to see the man called George and a woman called Abby. Most children forget their imaginary friends by the time they start school.
8: Come on, Susanna. Time for breakfast.
2: But not Susanna.
5: George and Abby kept me awake again. All night. You and your little friends. Do we should forget about them? Come
8: on. It's quite hard to believe that a child of that age is seeing something supernatural. It's not something you think about. So you tend to assume that these are imaginary friends, perhaps, that she has. When I spoke about Abby and George, there was
5: no um, recognition there. Oh yeah, yeah, there was nothing. And that was quite confusing to me. It was so real to me.
3: Bye-bye, darling, you're gonna be daddy's good little girl.
0: That was the dad, or rather, the actor they used in the reconstruction. He sounds way more scary than George.
9: George says that I'm a
3: Yes, yeah.
0: well, George isn't real,
3: so we can forget about what he says, hmm? are you are getting a little bit old for these play friends? I was, at that stage, finance director of one of the top 100 companies. I was bringing a lot of work home, had a lot of problems, business problems. And last thing I wanted was a domestic problem, too.
0: What a great dad, viewing his kids as something that gets in the way of his business.
2: But the problem wasn't about to go away. Susanna became more obsessed with George and Abby.
8: I had some very strange situations with her where she wasn't herself, in that she would come out with strange remarks.
9: Mommy, it's Abby.
1: Darling, this game's getting very boring.
9: This is right there. Make her go away.
1: Look, there isn't anyone to make go your away.
9: You're just it. I hate you. I hate
5: Susanna?
0: To be honest, I'm siding with Susanna here.
5: I wanted mommy to see her. The abbey I'd been talking about, she didn't really know who she was.
8: And that's quite disturbing for a mother. You just instinctively know that that's not your child talking.
2: Then everything changed. Diana was to have an experience that finally convinced her that her daughter was telling the truth.
8: Well, I do hope you've calmed down now, young lady.
1: Susanna?
8: I would hear footsteps running and assumed that it was her. Susanna? The odd thing was that the footsteps still kept on running.
0: That is pretty annoying.
2: The strange events threatened to drive a wedge between Daniel and Diana.
8: Thank God you're back. It was difficult in the beginning with him because he really didn't want to know, actually, at all, and didn't find it remotely interesting
0: or believable.
8: It's Susanna.
0: Oh, no. This is just going to get in the way of his top 100 business.
8: Damn, I think I believe her. It's really scaring me.
0: Diana, I really don't need this now.
3: You know how it is. You get home, you're pretty knackered, uh, and immediately your wife starts in on some problem
0: that she's had in the day. We all know what that's like, right fellas? He just didn't find it
8: credible. I don't know what so it is. was bashing my head against a brick wall, and he'd get fed up and cross.
6: we'd have an argument. What are you trying to tell me? That this place is haunted? Darling, right now, I do not need to come home to a house full of hysterical women spouting
0: about bloody ghosts. Oh, how can I do my important business with these hysterical women around?
8: No, and I don't need you coming in at all hours of the night and not giving a damn about your family!
3: Diana was getting more and more concerned, and I think she was frustrated with me because I wasn't actually giving her the right answers. But while her parents argued over whether she was imagining things,
2: two floors up, Susanna had no doubts.
5: to me.
0: In the reconstruction, we see a glimpse of George and Abby. They appear in the corner of the room and just stare at Susanna.
5: They were just these entities that were in my life. They were just there. George had sort of shaggy brown hair and dark, exhausted-looking face, sort of pasty. Not a nice face at all. And Abby, she had bags under her eyes and she had straggly black hair. I was so frightened and just curling up on the landing and just sleeping there all night long. I couldn't even go down the stairs, which is a short staircase to my parents' room.
0: It just sounds like a couple of goths. I guess that would be frightening for a kid.
2: Diana was now firmly fighting in her daughter's corner.
8: I felt that it was bullying my young. And I would actually get quite angry, I would actually verbalise that sometimes (laughs) when I was alone and no-one was listening.
9: You've had your life? Why didn't you just bugger off?
8: Go on, go to hell! You feel somewhat impotent because you don't really know quite what to do or understand
0: how the whole situation is working. Maybe if she used a higher range of profanity, the ghosts would take more notice. On a swearing scale of 1 to 10, bugger off's around a 3. She should use something at a 9 or a 10. Words that you won't hear on a family podcast like this. You know, words like fuck and jizz.
2: Unsure of where to turn, Diana contacted a medium in Portsmouth. She sent him something personal of Susanna's but gave him no details about what had happened. The
0: response astounded her. Personally, if I received the personal effects belonging to a young girl in the mail, I would probably go to the police, but maybe that's just me.
8: He said there are presences in your house. There's a man who's actually quite evil. His name is George. And there's a woman called Abby. When he told me the names, George and Abby, it actually was very scary because it confirmed everything.
2: That's a very good medium. The medium went on to describe a terrifying scene he claimed that happened at the house when George and Abby were alive.
8: What he saw was a woman running. In great fear. Chased by a man, the woman's dress was torn at the back,
1: and the man was coming
2: with an axe. No records exist of the pair, so no one will ever really know the truth, but it was enough to convince Diana.
0: Sounds like Abby didn't sharpen the axe properly, and George is chasing after her saying, Oi, look at this axe, you need to sharpen it again. But Abby doesn't want to, so she runs away from him. That's my guess anyway
8: do was to actually have an exorcism and i'd have to try to persuade my husband
0: so i said look
3: you know there is this problem i don't really believe it but if you can show me some kind of tangible proof then we can take it to the next stage maybe it'll shut up these hysterical women
2: it wasn't long before daniel would be convinced it was susanna's eighth birthday and her friends were invited to a party at the manor house one of them was a young boy also called daniel
4: I went inside, um, I think I needed to go to the toilet. I'm not quite sure, but I remember going into the house on my own. An old lady dressed in black. She was very authoritative. She did not want me to go past her. I just felt very uneasy, very scared. Mommy, Mommy! I just wanted to get out,
0: get out as soon as possible. Is this his excuse for peeing his pants?
4: When we
8: found uh, this little boy Daniel, he was screaming his head off. He was standing there by himself and he was clearly very scared.
4: Now I'm older, and I look back on it, it all seems
0: very, very strange. I am convinced, though, that I saw a ghost. Poor little Daniel. But will this persuade big businessman Daniel?
2: It was what Diana had been looking for. Someone other than Susanna seeing a ghost
3: in the house. I began to realise we really did have something very difficult on our hands. I certainly, I think anyone who has any belief in the metaphysical and any belief in an almighty uh, recognises that there are things out there that you can't put your finger on. And I began to realise that this fell into that category and we had to do something about it.
0: I'm still not sure if he's convinced, but at least he's going to do something for his family for once.
3: The
2: Hodson's called in the church who eventually sent a minister to exorcise the house.
3: One very bright July day, but surreal it was, um, I came back from work um, at lunchtime and uh, the children were dispatched with the mother's help and Diana and I and, and this exorcist uh, went through the process. He didn't look like Max von Sydow, um, it wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but it was very interesting.
2: At the exact moment the exorcism ended, unprompted, Susanna said something remarkable.
9: George and Abby have gone to heaven.
2: Kids are
3: weird.
5: I don't know why I said it. It just came from the feeling.
3: And uh, I said, what's your batting average? Um, And he said, well,
0: about 90%. The priest obviously doesn't know what a batting average is.
5: I would definitely say... If we hadn't remained close as a family, that that entity, whatever it was, could have really done some damage.
0: Would it? I mean, they only appeared and stared at you.
2: Susanna never saw George and Abby again. Perhaps they had only ever been a figment of young imaginations.
3: It all worked so simply, and and the the exorcisms have unlocked everything and sent it away, that maybe it was psychosomatic after all.
0: Daniel still isn't convinced. It's just not good for a top 100 business.
3: But the story was not over yet.
2: Two years later, the Hodson's moved to a new home. Soon after arriving, they invited their next-door neighbour, Marnie Jones, around for tea.
1: No, you'd love it here. The village is beautiful, and don't worry about the locals. Well, I hope so. It's a wonderful place.
0: Oh, yes, I've seen those ghastly locals.
8: Feel so at peace. Why? Wasn't your last place? Well, we had some problems at our last house.
9: Where was it? We lived in West Broughton. West Broughton? God.
8: I used to live there. That's amazing. Well, we lived in the manor house. You know, by the church. So did I. Oh, my God. Did you ever... I mean, I don't know how to put this, you'll think I'm completely barking mad, but... Well, we had some problems there, mainly with Susanna, our eldest. Oh, my God. You as well. I thought... I thought it was only us.
0: Dun-dun-dun!
2: In 1965, Marnie was a five-year-old girl living in the same house as the Hodson's. She has nothing but terrifying memories of the place.
8: I was too frightened
1: to go and find anybody to tell them how scared I was. The feeling of being strangled, you could actually feel fingers coming around your throat.
8: The name George had a very strong ring to
1: it. I think that there were other entities there. But George is the only name that I have. As soon as your foot got on the top staircase, you had to fly. You had no fear about
8: falling or slipping, because that was absolutely nothing compared to what was coming after you.
0: Oh, Marnie had it worse than Susanna. The
3: thing which really proves it was that uh, we bumped into someone in a million-to-one chance who'd actually lived in the house quite independently, I've had problems with it.
8: It still brings the hairs up on the back of your neck. There's no other way to describe it. It's a, it's a pure fear. And I would say it was evil. What was there was very evil. It still gives us nightmares. Even to this
5: day now, recurrent nightmares. And you know that that's a memory. But it really did
8: happen all those years ago.
0: And she still has nightmares about it to this day. Well, up until 2001 at least. I have no idea what happened after this documentary.
2: After terrorising two families for over 20 years, the manor house is now calm. Perhaps thanks to the Hodgson's exorcism. It is currently a happy family home, and the owners have reported no evidence of haunting.
0: So, Daniel is the hero of this story? Episode 54 Britain's Britain's Most Terrifying ghost Ghost Stories the Epilogue So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that British people sometimes have unusual reactions to ghosts.
9: I am thinking, stupid cow, what's she doing out this time of night, weather like this, you know?
0: We learnt that exorcisms can be thirsty work. Come on, dear, be nice idea.: dear. And we learnt that sometimes to get rid of a ghost, you just have to swear at it. And I just lifted my head and turned it round and said, F off. And it went. I thought the choice of documentary, Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories, would be perfect for a Halloween spooktacular. But I'm feeling a bit gypped. These tales weren't really scary at all. They are mostly about hysterical women annoying dads who just wanted to get some sleep or do their business. We've covered much scarier shit on other episodes, such as nice flying and ping-pong balls. I don't remember anyone being attacked in this one. But then this was a pretty long episode and I've completely forgotten what happened at the beginning. But anyway, maybe this shouldn't have been called Britain's Most Terrifying Ghost Stories. But I don't think Ian McShane would have agreed to narrate something called Britain's Mildly Bothersome Ghost Stories. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know...
7: Things yeah.